The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 till 11. Now on Mitchell's Front Page, On the Road with Toby Hagan. Good morning, Toby. How are you? Good, thanks, Mitchell. Good morning. Well, first of all, uh, Hyundai's had a bit of success with a, a sellout of a new electric crossover in just a couple of hours. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. The Hyundai Ionic 5, which is, um, as you say, a mid-sized sort of crossover SUV type of thing. Um, uh, they didn't have a whole lot to sell, to be fair, only 240 of them, but uh, they sold out straight away within two hours, so it was... Um, it was a big success for Hyundai and I guess shows that people are prepared to pay a bit more for this technology. It's, um, you know, this wasn't a cheap car. I mean, it starts at, at 76 odd thousand dollars drive away and heads it just uh, into just over $80,000 for the, the dual motor version, the all wheel drive version. So not super cheap, but, um, but still plenty of people prepared to pay that extra for a uh, for a car that's got a fair bit of technology in it. It is one of these EVs that's been designed and engineered from the ground up, so it hasn't been adapted to an existing um, internal combustion engine platform, and that gives big benefits for things like interior space and packaging, being able to uh, to fit more humans in, and, uh, and, and I guess things like extending the wheelbase, so again, you can get some more legroom in the back seats, that sort of thing. So pretty cleverly designed car. I'm actually due to drive it this week, so we'll know a little bit more about it, but we've covered it a fair bit in terms of the, uh, uh, the I guess, the influence and the impact this um, this particular EV is going to have. Do Hyundai's all come with a seven-year warranty now? No, Kia has a seven-year warranty. Hyundai has a five-year warranty. Oh. So uh, Kia is the sister brand to Hyundai. They share components and so on, but Hyundai's still got a five-year warranty. So it's a... Um, uh, so, yeah, but, but still, uh, I mean, that's sort of the industry standard these days is a five-year warranty. Some of the uh, – occasionally you get brands stretching to that seven-year, but uh, but most of them hover around that five-year warranty. And we've talked a lot about the longevity of the batteries in electric vehicles. I suppose it starts the, the thought process about will electric car companies be able to guarantee that a battery will maintain its charge and work for seven years? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, look, Tesla, for example, only has a four-year warranty on its cars, so it's lower. But Tesla provides a longer warranty on the batteries, on the high-voltage batteries that, that do, obviously, it's the heart of the car. It's the most expensive part of the car. And that's indicative of what happens with um, with pretty much all EVs. All EVs have a, an eight-year warranty, typically covering about 160,000 kilometres of travel. And they guarantee at least 70% of the original battery capacity. Some of them might go up to 75 or 80%, but all the ones I'm aware of go up to 70, uh, 70% of that original battery capacity. So I guess you got some peace of mind there that the car is going to still be, you know, I guess the expensive part of the car is still going to be functioning after eight years and it's certainly a longer warranty that's on the, uh, that, that is on the rest of the vehicle. Now you've been driving the new uh, Land Cruiser 300 series. Is that the one that's been having issues with the semiconductor shortage? Sure is, yeah. So they're, they're not actually building any at the moment for Australia. So the factory shut down um, about six weeks ago, seven weeks ago now. It's due to, uh, to to start manufacturing cars for Australia in about a week and a half, two weeks. So we'll start seeing more of those production cars, the, the customer cars coming into the country in about uh, well, should be should be just before Christmas for the for the early customer cars. That said, if you go into a dealership now and, and ask for one, it's going to be um, 
uh, well into 2022. There's some pretty strong, um, pretty hefty waiting lists out there for that car, which is amazing given that the pricing starts at, uh, at roughly $98,000 drive away for the base model car. And as you say, I've been driving it. That base model car is, it does feel very base model. It doesn't have, it's got steel wheels, for example, not al- not alloy wheels. It's got no carpet, so it's got vinyl floors for, for washing it out easily. Uh, it's a fairly basic bit of kit, but the engineering behind it, the core of the car, is absolutely top-notch. And one of the things you notice, even in that base model car, is just how quiet it is, how refined it is. It is seriously luxurious in terms of the uh, the driving experience. Also gets a new V6 engine, so a 3.3-litre twin-turbo V6. There have been a lot of issues. A lot of people concerned about this because the previous car obviously has a, uh, a twin-turbo V8. So a lot of people worry that stepping down to a V6 is going to... Uh, going to reduce the, the drivability and so on, but um, I can pretty confidently say that's not the case. It has an awful, uh, an awfully um, good amount of grunt. You press the throttle and it goes really hard. Not only that, it's now got a 10-speed automatic, so you've got a lot more gear ratios to choose from. So it's uh, between those two things, it's a far brisker car than the previous one. It's certainly got uh, got plenty of performance. Even with towing, towed um, almost three tonnes with it, and it's um, it's got plenty of punch for the towing as well. So it's a, uh, it's a very quick car. Sounds great. I mean, I just wonder if more cars shouldn't have that sort of vinyl interior that you can almost just get a garden hose in there and hose it all out at the end of a big adventure going into the the country. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one thing, I guess. Toyota's thought really carefully about the lineup of models in the range here. So so that base model, the GX as they call it, that's the only one that's got that uh, that hose out interior. The rest of them obviously go a bit more luxurious. And um, But it makes sense. I mean, they picture that at farmers, at mining companies, at fleets, at those sorts of people who I guess are more worried about the core of the car, making sure the car is it does it does what it needs to from a functional perspective. They're not necessarily as worried about the uh, the aesthetics and the um, and the comfort levels inside the cabin. So, so from that perspective, um, I think they've really thought about it well. And as I said, the, the the lineup generally, the previous car you had four models to choose from. In this new one, there are actually six. So they've carried over the four previous models: the GX, GXL, the VX, and Sahara. They've now got two more that they've put on top. So they've got one called Sahara ZX and another one called GR Sport. And the Sahara ZX, that was probably the one for me that makes the least amount of sense because it's actually got slightly worse off-road ability. They've focused more on on the looks of it. It's got big 20-inch alloy wheels. It's got um, a lower front spoiler, so a, a different uh, different grille on the front, for example, which gives it a bit more of that aggressive look and a, a bit more swankiness, I guess. But as I said, detracts a tiny bit from its off-road ability. So that, for me, was the one that didn't make quite as much sense. The GR Sport, on the other hand, they've gone all out in terms of the off-road ability, the performance. So um, they've put in things like triple differential locks, which give you unbelievable traction. So when you engage them, every wheel moves at exactly the same speed, so it turns at the same speed. So basically, you've got to get all four wheels stuck before it's going to stop progressing somewhere. So, um, so yeah, it's a, uh, a seriously good car from that perspective, and I think that GR Sport's really well thought out. The only thing is, it's not cheap. It's about... Um, uh, it's almost $150,000 for that GR Sport. So certainly a, a step up in terms of price, but you get a heck of a lot for your money. And I guess if we look at the reputation for longevity and reliability, there's a fair chance that car will still be doing what it's supposed to in uh, a decade, two decades, three decades. How does that 150k price tag compare to the entry-level model in that uh, of the six models that are there? Yeah, so the entry one's about 50 grand less, so 98 grand drive away. So the, the spread is from that 98 to 150. And um, 
I guess the interesting thing is you see where Toyota's trying to push with this with uh, with Land Cruiser, and they're obviously pushing it more upmarket, which I think then gives them a bit more space underneath to allow the Prado, the next one down in the lineup, to sort of when when a new one arrives in the next year or two of that, when they can push that one a little bit more upmarket, and then potentially allow for the Fortuna, the one below that, to again push up a bit. So it's all about repositioning and thinking about how they can fit all these models in the range. But also Toyota is starting to to really compete with more of the luxury brands. So you know it's um, uh, potentially competing with some of the Land Rovers and Range Rovers out there, and um, and I guess coming with a very solid off-road package. And as I said, the refinement and, uh, and comfort levels in there are, are very strong as well. Now, uh, Ford and the Ford Focus is going to revert to a hot hatch only in Australia. Tell us about that. Yeah, this is a big change for Ford. I mean, anyone who remembers their small Fords, you go back to the 1980s and the Ford Laser dominated. It was a very strong seller in the Australian market, obviously locally produced at one point. But... um, Early in the 2000s, they switched over to the Ford Focus um, from Europe, and that's been the small Ford hatchback for that amount of time, but it's gone now. So they're basically saying that uh, with an update, a model update that's coming very shortly, they're only going to bring in the ST, so the the hot hatch version, sort of $45,000 plus hot hatch version. So that's the only one of those uh, those Focuses we'll have. We won't have the regular sort of $25,000, $30,000 hatchback um, basically, sales were struggling. I mean, that small car market generally has really declined over the last decade. We've seen a big shift towards SUVs, and that's one of the markets that it's gobbled up. There are still some strong players there, Mazda 3 and Toyota Corolla, but both of them are selling fewer cars than they used to five, six, seven years ago. So it's a, um, a pretty big shift in that market. And as I said, to see... Um, to see the to see that focus gone, to see them say, "Well, we're going to pull that out of the market," that's a uh, a pretty big change. Now, what's happening with the Mini Moak? Mini Moak is going electric. So, anyone who remembers their Mini Moaks, if you, I mean, I remember the paper man. Paper man used to deliver the papers out of the back of a Moak. Um, pretty iconic little car, obviously. And um, in the UK, they're actually starting to produce a fully electric version of that Moak. So it's going to be um, it's going to be a very different car to what uh, what we've seen previously. Um, they're doing it in left-hand drive and right-hand drive. And look, clearly, I guess it's aimed at a bit of an enthusiast type of market. They're not uh, they're not pitching it as a mainstream type of thing. Um, and I think it would struggle to get vol- what they call volume approval for sale in Australia. I just can't see the safety systems or the lack of safety systems living up to it. It's obviously an open-top car, pretty basic-looking thing. But um, uh, at the same time, I could also see potentially some uh, resorts or some some private people saying, that's not a bad idea, I'll bring in one of those. It's a little bit different, something that stands out. The challenge they're going to have is the price. I mean, this thing, it's sort of starting just under £30,000. So you uh, you calculate that out, and it's... Um, it's uh, over $50,000 Aussie before you got all your taxes and so on. So it's it's a fair whack. It's certainly, as I said, be more of a niche type of vehicle, but very different for the Mini Moak. And just last of all, you were talking about Kia before. You've been driving the Kia Sorento plug-in hybrid. Uh, tell us about that, and it's quite expensive. I think, what, 82000 82 grand drive away, yeah. Kia Sorento Fairville plug-in hybrid electric vehicle. So it's um, uh, it's a bit, pretty big change for um, for that model. They're still offering the diesel version and the 
the V6 petrol version, but um, uh, the diesel or the uh, sorry the plug-in hybrid gets a 1.6 litre four-cylinder turbocharged engine, very small engine for a seven-seat SUV, but obviously an electric motor as well, and that electric motor adds plenty of performance. So you get quite a you get quite a decent uh, decent performance, not to 100 in about eight and a half seconds. So certainly goes pretty strongly. Um, the, uh, the the car itself it does a reasonable job. The challenge you got that pricing. It's a, it's around about fifteen thousand dollars more than the uh, than the, the diesel version. But there are some interesting things in there though. Plenty of equipment for the money. So they're packed in a whole bunch of gear from quilted leather, panoramic sunroofs, um, all sorts of equipment in there. But um, uh, at the same time, you still get all that functionality. The seven seats, you also get a full-size spare tyre, so it's a, um, a good good, well-thought-out package from that perspective. Biggest issue is the price. Well, I'm going to have a look at that. Thank you very much for being on the program. Always good to talk to you, and we'll catch up again in two weeks' time. Sounds good. Thanks, Mitchell. Thank you, Toby Hagen there from evcentral.com.au. The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 to 11. Or search for Mitchell's Front Page on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or wherever you get your podcasts.